Hi, I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome the phenomenal Julie Ryan. Julie is a whole plethora of incredible things. She's a psychic and medical intuitive, an inventor, and an entrepreneur. Now, when we talk psychic, she communicates with spirits, alive and dead. She can sense medical conditions and illnesses and facilitate energetic healings. She can see people's energy fields. She can scan animals and communicate with animals and interpret that information back to their humans. She can also access people's past lives, remove ghosts from homes, and tell how close someone is to death. She even created something called the 12 phases of transition where she's able to determine how close a spirit is to leaving the body and transitioning. Julie has been working in this field for 25 years and before this was a very successful inventor of surgical devices and founded several companies. So you could say that Julia truly is a wealth of many different talents and abilities and she's really crafted them into an amazing business. Our conversation is really exciting, a little out there, and just fantastic. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hello, Julie, and welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. What a delight to finally connect with you. We've been trying for a while. I know, I know, and finally here we are. And we get to talk and connect and I get to learn all about you. And my audience can hear about the amazing talents that you have, which I've been blown away with since we first connected a few weeks ago now. I've been going through all of your YouTube channel, your your show, Ask Julie Ryan, your podcast, and a lot of your work. And it is just, I have to say, it's pretty remarkable, Julie. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. And what a broad range of offerings that you have and very eclectic. And I I just love, you know, of course, we're going to have you share your story, but you know, you really came from kind of, you're a businesswoman. That's right. I tell people I'm a, I'm a businesswoman who learned how to do woo-woo when I'm a buffet of psychicness. (laughs) Wow. What a thing to be able to say. And I just love that because you're really just using a gift. And and I love the way that you approach it because then you're not claiming to have any special abilities. They are just things that you're able to do and you utilize them and you use them to help others. Which I learned how to, I learned how to do all this stuff. I am not one of those psychics who's had dead people chasing her since childhood, or if I did, I didn't know it, let alone what I would have done with that information. But no, Whitney, I learned how to do all this stuff. And I, we all come in with the ability. It's just a matter of developing and enhancing it. And I teach people around the world how to do all this stuff that I do. So can you tell us about what you are doing? If you could give us a little snapshot of your life now, the Julie Ryan empire that you've created in, in this amazing, if the audience could see your, your studio, your recording room is, is pretty spectacular. It looks, it looks a little bit like, um, it's kind of like Halloween-y. We just passed Halloween. So I kind of have that on the mind, but it's, it's a red room, (laughs) right? That's right. It's, it's, 
I took over when my son grew up and got married and left home, left home and got married and all of that. He had a secret room off of his bedroom. And when we were building the house, he was six. And we said, well, is there anything that you would like? And he said, yeah, we'd li- I'd like a secret room. And we, my husband and I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, you know, where a bookcase opens up and you go behind the bookcase and there's a secret room. And his name's Jonathan. And I said, well, honey, how do you, how do you know about even a, know about a secret room? And he said, well, I've seen it on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> So I took over Jonathan's secret room and made it into a recording studio. And it's great. And it's, we were talking before we were recording that when I was putting it together and designing it, my guy that did it for me is an audio engineer. And he said, okay, well, their foam comes in lots of different colors. And I imagine you probably want dark gray. And I said, I don't want dark gray. I want it to be red. And he said, red? I said, yeah, I want it to be fun and high energy. So I have a red recording room with, I'm in a padded room with red (laughs) foam all over the room. I told Whitney when we got started, I said, I'm not in a brothel. I promise there's lots of red, but it's just, it's just my recording room. Kind of like a fun house brothel look. Well, but the, but the energy in here is really high because of the color. Yeah. And that's what I wanted. Yeah. Definitely. So did you create uh, that that secret room affect for your son? Did you make it like a bookshelf that opened into a Absolutely. Room? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's so great. Behind me, I know we're not, this isn't video, but you and I are on video. See that white? That's yes. the back. That's the back side of the bookcase. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you open, you push the bookcase, it opens oh. up. It's on this huge hinge. And then you come back around and you're in this secret room. Every kid's dream. It's still oh. my dream. I still one that'll be a goal in my life is to one day have yeah. a secret room that's <laughs> a bookshelf that you could just push and it opens into that secret room. I love it. Yeah. And you'd never know when you walk into his bedroom that it's just not, it's just looks like a regular bookcase. Yeah. And it is. <laughs> it is. So this is it's making me think about haunted houses, just this whole, you know, this this red room and this secret passage. Now, as a someone who learned to tap into these abilities. And as you said, you don't feel like you were ever chased or approached by spirits. Do you believe in haunted houses, haunted spaces? Is that something you've ever experienced or what are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. Not all the time. Yes. Several times during my life and also working with clients when they feel like they have ghosts in their house. The the big thing that I've learned since I started doing woo-woo since I learned how to do woo-woo is that there is no such thing as an evil spirit and hell doesn't exist. It's all a construct that's been propagated throughout the ages by religions and cultures to control the masses. What controls people better than fear? I mean, that's the biggest control. For heaven's sakes, we've been in the middle of constant fear with all this COVID stuff going on for the past couple of years. And that's how people are controlled is through fear. And that's what religions, like I said, and cultures have done since the beginning of time. Spirit is pure love, Whitney. That's it. All spirit knows how to do is send love. I use analogies a lot because I think it gives our human minds a frame of reference for Mm woo-woo, all this woo-woo stuff that we're talking about. And so the, the analogy I use to spirit is the sun. The sun knows how to shine. 
That's all the sun does. The sun doesn't care if you're inside, outside, if it's raining where you are, if it's sunny, it doesn't care. It just shines. Same with spirit. Spirit just gives love. That's all it can do. So when people are afraid, fear, right, of a spirit that's in the house or a spirit that they encounter, it's because of how they've been trained throughout their life. It's a limiting belief that's false based in an irrational fear that's false. And so they get scared and then they have those feelings and they think the feelings are real. Certainly they are real because they're feeling them, but what they're feeling is based on something that's false. It's a belief about what they're feeling. An example of that would be if you showed a picture of a gargoyle to somebody in our culture, or we saw it on a building, a gargoyle on a building, we'd say, oh God, that looks so creepy, you know, that gargoyle, because we've been taught that it's supposed to ward off evil spirits and they're scary looking. If you showed a picture of a gargoyle to somebody in an indigenous tribe in the middle of the Amazon that didn't have any frame of reference for it, they would say, oh, that's an interesting dog. I've never seen that anywhere before. Hmm, Look at how his teeth are. They wouldn't be afraid of it because they weren't taught to be afraid of it. And that's how evil spirits and haunted houses and all that stuff come into play. Hmm. Well, so I think it was on your website, or maybe you talked about it in one of the episodes of your show. You said that when sometimes when spirits pass, it's they don't know that they're dead. The way that it that ghosts work is that when we die, we all go into non-physical, we all go to heaven. All dogs go to heaven, all people go to heaven. <laughs> you know that movie. Oh god, out a long right. time ago. They all look, dogs go to heaven. People yeah. childhood. <laughs> That's right. All people go to heaven as well. We some spirits want to experience and explore what it's like to be in spirit form, but still be have experiences in the human realm. So it's like they're Casper the friendly ghost, right? They're in spirit form, but they're still around the human existence. And most of the time, it's it's them having that existence where in that just experience, they're not aware that they're necessarily dead in some instances. So I'll bring a spirit in, perhaps a family member who's deceased, and they'll beckon them to come into the into the light. So it's like we're humans, we're spirits having a human experience. We're spirits attached to a body having a human experience. We are focused on the human experience when we're alive, right? The spirit part of us is there. It's like running in the background or the foreground, depending on how you're looking at it. It's the same thing with a ghost. A ghost is in non-physical form. The ghost is focused on what they're experiencing in non-physical in this reality, in the human reality. And so we can beckon them back into heaven. Sometimes they go, sometimes they're not ready to go. May I give you an example? Oh, please. Okay. My daughter-in-law on Thanksgiving several years back, she was at her grandmother's house. I live in Birmingham, Alabama, here in Birmingham. And she and her daughters 
were in the kitchen. The grandma and her daughters were in the kitchen fixing Thanksgiving dinner. And all of a sudden they were all standing there and these antique spoons and stuff, cooking utensils came off of their nails on the wall and slammed on the countertop and on the floor. Like unprovoked, nothing happened. They just came off on their own. And so that freaked them out, you can imagine. And the next day they're on the phone with me going, what the heck is this? So I can do an instant replay. Like I can rewind the tape if you're watching a football game and they'll do an instant replay of the touchdown, you know, and they'll play that. So they, I did an instant replay and what I saw were several ghosts that were in the house. And one was a Confederate soldier, one looked like a farmer, and another one was another man. Well, they gave me what their names were. They told me that that was a farm that they lived on. They were on their property. This housing development had been put up on this old farm property. They told me that the Confederate soldier died in whatever year, and he was looking for his daughter, who was five at the time. Well, the daughter was long dead. So I brought the daughter's spirit in so he could be reunited with the daughter. And then they all went into the light. The interesting thing about that, Whitney, is one of the grandsons researched all that information I got. They found the deed to the property that was indeed a farm. They found the family's name that they own that property. They found the Confederate soldier and where he died and when he died, which matched the information they were giving us. They found his daughter's name. I mean, it was just, and that happens all the time, not only with ghosts, but also with past lives, which makes it really fun. So that's an example. That those spirits wanted to explore what it was like to be in non-physical and have him look for his daughter. Hmm. Big concept, trying to fit it into our human frame of reference is a stretch, but that's what happened. Yeah. Now, because when you say that, I I think of you know, that's a long time for them to wait to, to be looking for his son. I mean, that, you know, a hundred years ago, they however long they've been waiting, but when someone's in the spirit realm, do they know time? You know, is it, oh. is it the same way we experience it? Like, are they kind of sitting around in a chair, just waiting for someday, you know, a human to acknowledge them and help them? Or is it, can they even like come in and out of, you know, sort of the, the absolute oneness that we all eventually return to and then come back to the spirit realm or how does, how does that work? Great question. Time does not exist in the spirit world. Time is a human creation. So it's feasible. A hundred lifetimes of a hundred years may not even be a blip on the radar screen in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. Time in our reality is very, there just isn't even a frame of reference for it in the spirit world. Right. So yeah, it is a long time in our reality, but not even a nanosecond in the spirit world. Right. Okay. And then I also have to ask that. So what if, you know, a a spirit has passed, is it possible for a spirit to be confused and not know what's going on or where it is? And is that sometimes when we hear about people who feel haunted, who feel that a spirit is kind of bothering them or messing with them? Do you, do you think that that is a realistic experience or do you think that's a misconstrued conspiracy experience? Two answers to that question. Number one, do spirits get confused? No, they don't. That's a human 
emotion, a human feeling. Spirits are pure love. All they know how to do is love. That's it. The spirit that is in the human reality while they're still in non-physical, is there experiencing, are they experiencing confusion perhaps? Where the confusion comes in and the fear is from the human who's perceiving that spirit. So we're interpreting that spirit's actions as that that spirit is confused because we're filtering it through our frame of reference. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So then would you, like when people say that they feel haunted, do you think that that's just the human's perception of the situation? Do you think there's anything as such as, you know, nefarious spirits that mean harm on humans? No, that's what I was saying early, earlier. There aren't any, there isn't any such thing as an evil spirit or anything that's nefarious going on. It's us interpreting what we're experiencing through our lens based on what we've been taught. Back to the gargoyle example. Somebody who's been taught that gargoyles are scary is scared when they see a gargoyle. Somebody who doesn't know any better, hasn't been taught that, just says, oh, interesting looking dog. Same thing with spirits. Well, have you ever had someone call into the show who felt like they or someone they know had been, you know, what's the right term, that a spirit had entered their body? You know, sometimes people claim that and you see that in a lot of movies where like a, a... a evil spirit has come into their body and is kind of controlling them or, or haunting them or inhabiting them. No, that that's, you know, you're a therapist, (laughs) you know, you know, way more about that than I do. (laughs) It's their perception of their behavior that has way more to do with your line of work than spirit. Wow. I don't, you know, is that schizophrenia? Is it, uh, you know, different kinds of delusions? Is it, what else is going on? All spirits are pure love. So when somebody says, okay, I was possessed by an evil spirit, it made me kill somebody. Nah, not so much. Spirits are pure love. That was you. That was your spirit wanting to explore and experience something. Mm. Okay. But were they possessed? No. Now you brought up Movies, movies and literature are designed to sell tickets and books. What do they do? They elicit an emotional response. Right before we got on, we were, uh, I grabbed a bite of lunch and I was watching uh, General Powell's funeral on TV while I was eating lunch at the National Cathedral, General Colin Powell. And all the presidents were there and, you know, the, all the dignitaries and his family. And I was, I was crying watching it. I mean, it was beautiful. The, the tributes to him, the music was amazing. Some of the, some of the soloists that came and sang hymns were just, oh, amazing. So that was an emotion that I was experiencing based on what I was watching. But I'm a, you know, I'm a mush. At funerals, even if I don't know the person, I'm going to cry because mm-hmm. it's going to be moving. Movies and literature and any kind of books and that kind of thing are the same. They're designed to elicit an emotion. And then we go into our perception of what that is. Yeah, because The Exorcist is so scary because it's terrifying to think about right. not being real. And that's what they they are looking to create that response in an audience. 
Exactly. Right. Because, well, that's what the news does. Yeah. You know, the news is all bad news for the most part. And what do they do? They elicit fear in their viewers and the fear makes the viewer think, oh my God, I need to watch the news and see what's going to happen next because I need to protect myself and my family. When it's all about the number of eyeballs watching that, listening to that, reading that book, it's all about the clicks. It's all about how many people are watching a newscast because it's all about the dollars. The more people they have watching, the more they can charge for their ads. It's all about money. Yeah. And and they they know that they're going to have way more people watching their newscasts if people are in fear than if, oh my gosh, you know, there's these new puppies that were born and aren't they cute? People aren't going to be as, as uh, motivated to watch. And then that affects their ad revenue, which affects the revenue for the network and the station and all of that. So it's a business. Yeah, it is. And, it, and there, so there's a bit of... Um dependence on being able to keep and grow an uh, audience. And one of the things that can really, as you, as you mentioned, keep people tied in is when they feel they need to keep engaging with something because there's a fear of what they might not know. If they don't find something out, if they don't get this information, then they might be harmed or they might be in trouble if they don't well, watch think, the news 24-7. Think back to when COVID first came out. You know, they were saying... Wipe down your groceries, wipe down the bags, wear rubber gloves when you're in the grocery store, whatever. I mean, really, you're so what could happen is you touch a, a grocery cart, you got the COVID virus on it, you touch your face, it crawls up into your nose, it affects your body. You know, you have symptoms, there aren't any ambulances to come get you. And if there were, there aren't any hospital beds. So you get in the hospital and you're in the hall and they don't have any ventilators and then you just die. I mean, really? But that's the, what the fear was eliciting. And it still does in a lot of people. And they'll go from one thought to another thought to another thought that are all scary thoughts. And then before long, they're in this black hole of fear and they're paralyzed. And that's what happens, I believe, when people are saying, okay, I was possessed by an evil spirit. It made me do this horrible thing. No. That was you doing that horrible thing. Being possessed by an evil spirit is a really good excuse. And and you've got some psychological issues going on. Well, speaking of the effects of fear, you're also, a, as in addition to a psychic intuitive, you're also a medical intuitive. That's right. Which I'd love for you to explain that concept, but it, I also want you to move it into the, the idea of what role do you feel that, because if you're able to scan people's bodies, which you can do and see sort of their medical conditions and what's going on, do you see a large role that fear plays in, you know, people's, the things, the, the illnesses and the diseases and the ailments that manifest in the body? Oh, absolutely. Always. There's always an emotional component to every every illness, every disease. Mm -hmm. And it's in place before the illness or disease manifests. Absolutely. So as a medical intuitive, I'm an inventor of surgical devices sold throughout the world, Whitney, so orthopedic surgery devices. And I spent 30 years in and out of operating rooms, designing new products, testing prototypes, training surgeons, training reps, that kind of thing. And so 
When I do a medical intuitive scan, what happens is I'm like a human MRI. I raise my vibrational level to level of spirit because when we're attached to a body, our, our spirit vibrates more slowly simply because the body has mass. I use the analogy of imagine trying to run an electrical current through a bowl of pudding. It's going to slow it down just because of the mass of the pudding. So I watch a laser beam come from my body, my spirit, and hook into, like if I was going to scan you, to your spirit, anywhere you are. You could be on Mars. It doesn't matter. And then I have a hologram of you in my mind's eye. It says if I'm looking at an X-ray or a CT scan or an MRI. And then what happens is something's identified. Immediately thereafter, there's some type of energetic healing that begins. And it's spirit working through me and with me. And so that can take the form of something getting added, something getting removed. I watch procedures all the time that emulate what I saw in the operating room for all those years. Same kind of instruments, same procedures. (laughs) Sometimes I see healings that utilize methodologies and devices that haven't been invented yet. And regardless of what I'm seeing in my mind's eye, I'm very descriptive with my client or my caller. If they're calling into my Ask Julie Ryan show, that's a call-in show. So people call me from all over the world and ask this plethora of questions on a bunch of different topics. And so the reason why I'm very descriptive is because if the person with whom I'm working, if they can envision what I'm seeing in my mind's eye, it helps integrate it, the healing into their body because the body's going to follow what the brain's showing it, even if the brain doesn't believe it to be true. I think a great example of that is think of a time when you watched a scary movie like The Exorcist on TV or in a movie theater when it was out. Our brains knew it was pretend but our blood pressure was raised and our heart probably felt like it was beating so fast it was going to jump out of our body. So the body's going to believe what the brain's showing it, even if the brain doesn't believe it to be true. Along those lines, what happens then is the healing will integrate into the person's body. That can happen instantly. It can take days, weeks, months. It may need some kind of complementary care like medicine or a change in diet or physical therapy or surgery or whatever. But certainly it's always our spirit's prerogative to integrate the healing in a way or not to integrate it, whatever it wants to experience, but to integrate it in a way that best facilitates whatever it is we're exploring. So if we're exploring having some god-awful disease and healing from it, That's what our spirit wants to explore. Sometimes death is the healing for people. You know, that's that's the healing. And they from this life. Yeah. Yeah. The healing that heals the body. You know, if somebody's suffering at the end of their life and they're trying all kinds of different medical procedures and stuff, sometimes death is the healing. But our spirits decide when we go, where we go, how we go, what the circumstances are. And what's who's with us or not? Now, it's all decide that. Are you a believer in contracts that it's all decided ahead of time or in real time? That's not been my experience in working with thousands of people who've died while during their dying process and working with their families. My experience has been that they decide. I think a great example of that is Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher. 
Carrie Fisher died and her mother died the next day. There weren't, Debbie Reynolds was not sick. She didn't want to live without her daughter. So she checked out. My mother-in-law just passed last month at 96. And she was in the hospital. She had been healthy for the most part. She was in the hospital. She, they had uh, inserted an NG tube, a nasogastric tube to feed her. They said, we're going to send you home with it. She said, no, no, you're not. I'm not interested in that. That's not the way I want to live. And she died three days later. So no, we all decide when, where, how, who's with us, what the circumstances are. Are you able to tell that? Yes. Where people are in that? Yeah, that's what my book, Angelic Attendance, what really happens as we transition from this life into the next is all about. And and every one of us, Whitney, goes through what I call the 12 phases of transition. And it's a configuration of being surrounded by angels and the spirits of deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets as we're going through the dying process. Whether that be, again, back to the concept that time doesn't exist in the spirit world. So everybody goes through the 12 phases of transition, whether they're dying because of an instant kind of a death, like a homicide or a suicide or whether their death is prolonged over days, weeks, months, even years. And everybody goes through that. So I can scan somebody anywhere in the world and I can tell how close to death they are based on what phase of transition they're in. I can communicate with them telepathically, even if they can't communicate with their loved ones. And there are three questions that I always ask. Are you ready to go? Yes or no. Are you in pain? yes or no, and what do you need? And those requests are all across the board. May I share one of my favorite responses with you? Yes, please. This I was working with a daughter of a man who was elderly, who was in intensive care, and he was a retired dentist. And he they took him off the ventilator and they thought he'd die within minutes. Well, two weeks later, he's still hanging around unconscious, but still hadn't passed. And when I was conversing with him telepathically, he kept saying, I need them to file my quarterly estimated taxes. And his family was saying, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, why does he care about his taxes? I said, I don't know. So one day she called me, the daughter, and she said, it's been two weeks. He's still hanging around. What the heck does my father need? So I talked to his dad. I'm having like a cosmic conference call. She's on my phone. I'm talking to him telepathically, relaying information <laughs> back and forth. And I and he said, I need her to file my quarterly estimated taxes. And she said, I don't even know where they are. I don't even know wh- how to begin. And he's, so I asked him, I said, where, do you have them ready? Where are they? And he said, yeah, they're in the desk in my bedroom, second drawer on the left. So I told her, I said, go to his house, just look, see if they're there, put them in the mailbox and see what happens. She did just that, Whitney. She went to his house. They were in the drawer where he instructed. They were not only filled out, the check was written and the stamps were on the envelope. All she needed to do was seal it, put it in the mailbox on her way back to the hospital, which she did. And he died a few hours later. Now... The interesting part about that story is she was his executor and his estate was fairly complicated because he owned multiple properties and had investments and stuff. As his executor, by his quarterly estimated taxes being filed on the day that he died, it saved her all kinds of headaches in settling his estate. 
So I get all kinds of interesting requests. And and there are several stories in my book about families with whom I've worked. And their requests come in like a certain kind of candy that they want. Or they I had a, a client recently where she emailed me. She said, my mom's dying. It does she need anything? And she said she needed a book. She wanted her to bring her a book. And the daughter said, Well, my mom has Alzheimer's. She hasn't read in years. What is she, what, what kind of book? I don't know. So she mentioned it to her sister and the sister said, well, why don't you bring her the picture book that you put together that was kind of a, this is your life kind of a thing. And she did. And the mom carried it around with her for the last two weeks of her life and wouldn't let it out of her sight. So the stories just are so heartwarming of families who their loved one can't communicate, but we can get them information and then they're able to, to help them. I, I hear, can you play Frank Sinatra? Can I have a, a scented candle? Can I? Can you bring daffodils and put them in my room? To Can you file my quarterly estimated taxes? One, one guy that with whom I was working with his family, he was a, um, a man, elderly man living in Athens, Greece. So I was talking with his wife in Athens and he told me telepathically, because he couldn't communicate to the family, he was in a coma. He said he wanted to see his sister. And I said, he wants to see his sister. Does he have a sister? And she said, oh, yeah. And I said, well, he wants to see her. Can you ask her to come over? And she said, no, she lives in Australia. And I said, well, get her on a Zoom or a Skype or a FaceTime or something. She didn't. He died the next day. Wow. Yeah, so it's fun. So when you're able to scan people and tell the phase of of transition, is that how you refer to it? Yes. The 12 phases of transition, the phase that they're in, is is it all the same? Is each phase the same for every person? Do you get to a point, and I would imagine like sort of like the later phases are the final things they want to complete, like final requests before they're ready to pass? Or, and is there a certain point in this transition where people aren't yet willing to admit that they're dying? Is there a time where people are in almost like a state of denial? All right, let me unpack that. Several questions, several answers there. The phases of transition are just the configuration of how angels and deceased loved ones, spirits, and the spirits of deceased pets are surrounding the person who's dying. When somebody dies, their spirit separates from the body and it hangs on to the top of the head. It looks like a bubble that you'd see in a cartoon caption where the cartoon character's thoughts or words are. And then as they're dying in the early stages, angels, the the parents, the maternal relatives closest to the person who's dying are there, the, the maternal spirit. So the mother the mother's still alive, it's the maternal grandmother. If she's still alive, it's the maternal grandmother's mother, maternal great-grandmother, always on the maternal line. That's the spirit that runs the show from the spirit world. They call in the other spirits, they call in the angels. The angels surround them in a circle. Whitney, as the person's approaching death, that circle opens up into a horseshoe, eventually a straight line across the foot of the bed, for instance, if a patient's, you know, if a person who's dying is in the bed. And then thousands of other spirits come to welcome them. I call it the welcome to heaven committee. And it's a riot because oftentimes it's like when my mother-in-law was dying, I'm seeing all these people who've been dead for decades that I knew, you know, I mean, they were relatives or friends, but they've been dead for 15, 20 years, but their spirits were in the room with her. 
as the Welcome to Heaven Committee, I call it. And at the end, the angels are in this straight line, and it's like the line of demarcation between the human reality and the spirit world. And I, I say it's like crowd control, the, the line of angels. And it's as if the room, the walls on the sides and the back just disappear because there are so many spirits there that they look like dots on the horizon. And the fun thing about that is oftentimes many of the spirits will show up in period dress. So there'll be people from the Renaissance area or the caveman area or the 1960s. It's not unusual for me to see spirits dressed as a woman in the 1960s with go-go boots and miniskirts. It's hilarious. It's so much fun to see. And then oftentimes I can describe the spirits that I'm seeing. Again, all of this is in my mind's eye to the family. And they'll say, oh, that's, you know, Aunt Lily or that's whomever. And they know who that is. I describe animals to them. And they'll say, oh, yeah, that was my mom's dog, Fluffy, when she was a kid. It's really fun when I see farm animals, spirits in the room. And I'll say, okay, there are chicks and ducks and horses and cows and pigs and stuff. Yeah, grandma grew up on a farm. And that that cow that is a, you know, is a, has like white splotches on it, you know, like a black and white dairy cow was Molly, her pet cow that she had the whole time growing up. So that's those are the phases of transition. And it's very comforting to the family, knowing that, all right, this is a heart-wrenching time, but there's a glorious component going on simultaneously with all these angels. Angels, to me, look like how a Catholic school girl would picture an angel. Big, big wings, white robe, barefoot, rope, belt. Is that what angels really look like? Who knows? That's how I was taught angels look, based on statuary and artwork and things like that. To answer your the other part of your question with, are some people not ready to go? Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the questions I ask. Are you ready to go? When they're in the early phases, I had somebody this morning who was a client. Her mother's in the hospital. She's dying. She's in phase four. She's not ready to go. As they approach the later stages, most of the time they are. They will eventually say, okay, I'm ready to go. And that is that is usually just a precipitor of that they're going to be leaving soon. It comes in really handy to know the phase of transition that somebody's in because we're spread out in this day and age. You know, if somebody needs to take time off work or they need to fly somewhere or if they want to be with their loved ones to say goodbye before they pass, it comes in really handy with that. And there are illustrations of these phases on my website, AskJulieRyan.com. So anybody can look at them and you just say, you just ask, what phase is, is my grandmother in one of the phases of transition? You're going to get an answer in your head. It's going to feel like your thought, get a yes or a no. Say, okay, what phase? Phase seven. You look at the chart. You can see a diagram of what's going on. It gives a lot of comfort to families. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine to, to be able to have a greater understanding. It's probably comforting. Oh, it is. There was, there was a family here in Birmingham that goes to my church, our church, and the daughter-in-law was dying of a brain tumor. And the sister-in-law called me. I know her sister-in-law and 
big Italian family. And the night she was dying, they, when somebody came in the door, they would just give them the chart of the 12 phases of transition. She said they passed them around. And she said, there are probably a hundred people in this house. And she said, it's the calmest I've ever seen this family. It was a family of 11 kids. And this was one of the sisters-in-law that was passing. And she said, normally these guys would be bouncing off the wall. They'd be wailing. They'd be crying. They'd be, she said, they're calm. Everybody understands. She's surrounded by angels and her loved ones. And it's a beautiful situation in a heart-wrenching time. And that's what I find a lot. One other thing I want to mention is when somebody's in one of the phases of transition, Whitney, it, they can go, they can advance in the phases. They can re- come back to lower phases. There are times certainly when somebody's in phase 11, ready to take off to heaven and they decide that they don't, they're not ready to go and they live. One of my brother's best friends, he was in phase 11. I didn't think he was going to make it out of surgery. He had a stroke. They were removing part of his skull to because his brain was swelling. I didn't think he'd get off the OR table. But 15 years later, he's walking around fine telling the tale. Wow. Yeah, he no. decided he didn't want to go. Yeah, so then, you know, that brings us back to the idea that we choose when we leave. And and now, is it your belief that that, when a spirit reaches that point that the fear leaves and it's just a sense of whether they accomplished what they wanted to in this lifetime, whether they feel they, they, you know, they did what they came to do and are ready to move on, or if they know they still have business or want to be with their family here is what sort of the discerning factor or the deciding factor at the time. And do you hear that? Like when you're able to connect with, with these spirits, is that, are they communicating that to you? Yes. All of the above and more. It's unlimited. Why does a spirit decide they want to stick around longer? There's a story in my book about a woman who stroked out in the operating room. She was having her carotid arteries worked on. An endarterectomy is what it's called. She stroked out on the table. She died. They revived her. So I, her daughter is one of my best friends. So I was communicating with her mom. Her name's Marlene. She was a character. And I asked her, I said, are you ready to go? Because she was put on a vent and she was in intensive care for days. And she said, no. And I said, what do you need? And she said, more time with Bill. Bill's her husband. Mm. I need more time with Bill. She lived another several years. Yeah, it's all across the board. There's no rhyme or reason. And that's what makes this work so much, not only fun because it's interesting, but also so rewarding because... My goodness, to be able to help people when they're going through such a heart-wrenching time and and help communicate with their loved one who's dying, who they're not able to get information from them because they're in a coma or whatever. And this is why I was led to write this book. May I tell you the quick story about that, how that came about? Please. I was with my mentor. I studied how to do this stuff for six years in a really formalized curriculum. And one day I was with my mentor in Nashville at the time. And when she does a healing on me, my deceased loved one's spirits are in the room and my spirit guides spirits are in the room as well. And I can see them and she can see them and they participate in the healing when she's working on me. So one day this dead Pope shows up, the whole Pope outfit, the hat, the staff, shepherd staff, the whole nine yards. 
And I said to him, well, who are you? And he said, I'm Clement. And I said, well, I never heard of a Pope Clement. And he said, he laughed. He said, I was number six. I said, okay, can I help you? (laughs) Kind of like, why are you here? And he said, you're supposed to teach the world what happens when somebody dies. And I said, I'm a businesswoman. People will think I'm nuts. I'm not doing that. And he laughed and he said, yeah, 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 yeah. Just, you know, go ahead and get on with it. Just do it. He treats me like a Nike ad. I say, he just tells me, just do it. (laughs) So yeah, Susan could see him too. I leave Susan's office, my mentor. I get in my car, Whitney, to go home. And I just for kicks Googled Pope Clement VI. What I learned was he was in office during the Black Plague when two-thirds of Europe died, and he was best known for his prayers for the dying and his prayers for the dead. And I thought, okay, I can't make that up. I never knew there was even one Pope Clement, let alone six, of what this guy is. And he's been my spirit guide ever since. And it took me a long time, frankly, several years to get the courage to write a book about what happens as somebody's dying and then relay the stories because I thought, I live in the deep South. I'm going to have men dressed in white robes on horseback burning a cross in my front yard. And and that hasn't happened. And the interesting thing about it is the book is used by Sunday school classes and Bible study classes, my book, Mm -hmm. and in synagogues all around the country. And my church gives a copy of it to every family that comes in that plans a funeral. And since my book was released a a couple of years ago, there's been a book written called Death is But a Dream by an MD, PhD, who's a hospice director in Buffalo named Chris Kerr, K-E-R-R, who did university-based research on 1,400 hospice patients, 90% of whom report seeing the spirits of deceased loved ones and deceased pets, either in dreams or visions as they're approaching death. So his book validates everything that I talk about from the spiritual side. And so I say his, you know, my book's the yin, his is the yang. And I tease him. I say, I love it when science catches up with woo-woo. I think we're getting to that point more and more. They're merging together. It's all kind of one and the same thing. It'll be nice when we all understand that more. Yeah, we will when we're dead. (laughs) Absolutely. All of us will. Yeah. But yes, but yes. Okay, so then we've kind of covered, you're able to connect with people as they're approaching death, as they go through death, but then you're also able to help people who want to connect with those who have already passed. That's right. Yes, do it every day. Yeah. What does that look like? Is that, is it kind of what we spoke to before where there's some people who are still lingering around um, wanting to also kind of finish some things up or is it, they have a message or if, you know, let's say somebody lost their husband and they just really want to know where they are and how they're doing. Well, if you connect with that spirit, does it mean they're still in this realm or can you kind of call them down? How does that work? Great question. All of the above. We can connect with a spirit, whether it's attached to a body or not, doesn't matter. Spirit's just energy. Everything's energy. And our heads are big satellite dishes. They receive and they transmit frequencies. Every spirit has a frequency they keep throughout all their lifetimes, which is how I can do past life stuff. We just connect with that spirit's energy and then we talk to it. So how it works is I talked to somebody this morning who had lost her dad. 
and she wanted to talk with him. He died a few months ago, very suddenly, very unexpectedly. They didn't know what happened. They didn't do an autopsy. So she wanted to know what happened. And the first question usually I get asked is, are they okay? Let me know they're okay. Well, they're in heaven. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, (laughs) it's pure nirvana. So it was funny with him because he kept showing me different scenes. What I hear from spirit all the time is that they have a thought and it manifests immediately. So that's why they want to incarnate because they think it's fun to manifest over time in our human reality. And we look at that, we think, what? Well, God, if we could just snap our fingers and, you know, do whatever we want to do. So her dad was showing me all these different places where he was because come to find out, she told me after I described all this to her that he loved to travel. Well, he showed us a scene of him on an African safari. He showed us a scene of being in the Ming dynasty back in the day. He showed us a scene of him skiing in, he wanted it to be very specific that he was in the Swiss Alps, not the, the Austrian or the Italian Alps. He was in the Swiss Alps that he was skiing. And it was like I was watching a slideshow or a PowerPoint where you advance really fast. You're showing me different scenes. And he was saying to his daughter, this is great because I envision something or I think of something and then it immediately materializes. The other thing that was funny was I said, does he like to read? Did he like to read when he was alive? And she said, oh yeah. And I said, he's showing me, because she asked, she said, well, does he have to read these books to find out about it? And as soon as she asked that, he showed me this scene of him in front of this huge book. Remember the old uh, like dictionaries that were big and thick and you open them in the middle? Yeah, big ones. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He showed me sitting in front of one of those and the pages were turning really fast by their themselves. And it was like a second or two. He goes, yeah, I got everything in that book. It doesn't take time to read. And he said, I said to her, it reminds me of a scene of Harry Potter. And she said, those were our favorite movies. We watched them together all the time. So yeah, they'll give us information. They'll give us guidance if the person asks for it. Oftentimes people will say, clients will say to me or somebody calling into the show, can you talk to my dad or can you tell me, you know, who's around me and do they have a message for me? Well, I'm a businesswoman. Let's cut to the chase. Who do you want to talk to? You can talk to anybody you want, whether they're alive or whether they're deceased, whether you knew them or not. Mm. You want to talk to your dead grandma. You want to talk to Aristotle. You want to talk to Moses. Who do you want to talk to? We just think of them. They immediately come right in. Anyone? Any, any, any. Do they have any relative information to give that person? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just ask a question or make a statement. And how you know is like what I was saying before to tell what the phase of transition is. You just say something and they're going to respond and it's going to feel like it's a thought in your head. Mm. And how you know it's spirit communicating with you is it's instant. Mm. If you think about it for more than a couple of seconds, that's your brain talking to you. And what most of us do is we just dismiss thoughts that come into our head when we're talking to a deceased loved one. We think, oh, that's just my imagination. No, that's them really talking to you. And it doesn't have to be somebody that's deceased. That's how we communicate with people who are alive. You know, are you ready to go? What do you need from your family? That's how I communicate with people who sometimes people don't want me to scan them. 
because they don't understand what it is. And if it's like, if you asked me to scan your mom, I would telepathically ask your mom's permission before I scan her because I believe it's a violation of her privacy. If she says no, all is not lost because we can have a conversation with her spirit. And the reason why I don't have a problem with that is because it's kind of like if you had pneumonia, Whitney, and I was talking with you, you would tell me what you wanted me to know, but I'm not looking at your chest x-rays without your permission. That would be a HIPAA violation, right? Yeah. And a medical a medical privacy violation. And so, but I can talk to your mom about what she wants us to know so we can ask a lot of questions. There was a woman yesterday I had as a client and her daughter has been bedridden and an invalid. She's 19 now, but she has been that way for seven years. She's unable to communicate, but we got lots of information by talking with her spirit. She's still very much alive. And we got information about what she needed and and who she wanted to come visit her and who she didn't want and what her mom could do. And it, it was really fascinating, the information that we can glean. She did in that state for years? Seven years, seven years. So I've, I've wondered this. What would, why would a spirit want to stay in a body like that? Why would they want to stay when there's, they're not able to, to connect or communicate with anyone around them? Because it wants to experience what it's experiencing. It wants to experience being in that state. There's no right or wrong in the spirit world. It's just an experience. So perhaps in a past life or in many past lives, there's been a situation like that where she was the parent of, the mother of, the caregiver of, the child of, the spouse of, the whatever of, and she wanted to explore and experience what it was like and it, to be the child that was in that vegetative, for lack of a better word. She's aware. She's a lot. She's her eyes are open. She can make sounds, but she can't communicate, and she can't. She can't walk. She can't move in the bed, but if something happens, like she can express if she's in pain or she's unhappy with something. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that's so hard for us to conceptualize while we're here is that we'd ever choose some of the experiences that we have because we label them as horrific and horrible yet to the spirit. I imagine they're just a different flavor of all the different, many flavors we, they can experience and that we don't come just for the ones that we label good. Right. Well, exactly. And every situation benefits us in some way. It expands our spirit, which expands the collective consciousness. I'm getting real woo-woo on you here. The collective consciousness in that when we think about every time we have an experience or anyone for that matter has an experience, it's the only time it will ever happen. It never happened before with that person in this time, in that location, with this set of circumstances, and it will never happen again. So that contributes to the collective consciousness, which expands as we go, right? I'm getting really out here on you with me. And I, and I love it. Keep going. Yeah. So each spirit, when we incarnate, we come in with a script of something that we want to explore. And it's very basic, like, you know, want to be an artist. Well, there are unlimited ways to be an artist. And so perhaps in a past life, you were an artist in a different 
country in a, certainly in a different time as a different gender with a different medium. Maybe you're an artist, maybe you're a graphic artist in this lifetime. Maybe you're a painter. Maybe you're a composer. Maybe you're a, a fashion designer. I mean, those are all artists, right? And we can do that in multiple ways in one lifetime. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a creator. How does a woman with a communications degree invent surgical devices, let alone found nine companies in five industries? I don't know. I just did it. I'm a creator. The cool thing about past lives is we can see a script to repeat throughout multiple lifetimes, and you're looking at the same script with a different perspective. An analogy I like to use is Hamlet. How many times has Hamlet been performed since Shakespeare died? Who knows? But you think about what was going on in the world at the time. What was the time? What language? What country? Who were the actors? Who was the customer? Who was the set designer? Same script, different interpretation each time. Mm -hmm. And since time doesn't exist in the spirit world, when we're ready to go back to non-physical, we're done exploring whatever it is we came to explore. And then we go back to heaven and we dream up something else we want to explore and we reincarnate. Wow. And then I love that idea that each time we do, it's never truly repeated. It's a unique expression into the universe that's never been before and will never be again. Which lets us (laughs) remember too, that every soul that incarnates, every spirit soul, same thing. Every person is contributing to the collective consciousness. Some people will say, oh, that person's worthless. You know, they're They don't do anything. They just sit around like this little girl, you know, who was, who's been bedridden for seven years. Well, her experiences are contributing to not only her spirits, but her spirits exploring, it's contributing to the collective consciousness as well. So everybody is valuable. Everybody contributes regardless of what their life circumstances are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope we come to really internalize and know that more so that we can embrace our experiences and our situation. Yeah. And when we see somebody doing something, oh, uh, you know, you think of the worst person that's lived certainly in, in our frame of reference, most, a lot of people will think of Hitler and we think, oh, you know, I hope he's burning in hell for eternity. Well, back to hell doesn't exist and all spirits are pure love. It's what his spirit wanted to experience and explore in that lifetime that he lived. So the most horrific person that we can think of, it is benefiting their spirit and it's benefiting mankind. Because what happens when we create, we create out of the contrast. When we know what we don't want, it helps us create what we do want. And then when we're done creating, we go back to non-physical, we're dead. So contrast is good. It lets us know what we want to create. And that's how all creations happen. Right. Now, you spoke of it earlier, so we got to go here because this is also a big part of your work. Past lives, past life progression, working with people to go backwards. How is it helpful? And in your idea, what is it? Is it is it one spirit has truly lived all these lifetimes? Are we tapping into, you know, different channels of our past? Like what, what is it when we're doing a past life regression? Yeah. All these spirits have lived different lifetimes. 
Absolutely. And it's a blast. It is so much fun to do past life things. Like what the story that I told you about the Confederate soldier, oftentimes we can get, we can get historical documentation that basically verifies every bit of information that we get from spirit. I do past lives a little differently. I'm an entrepreneur, you know, I got to do it differently. I think outside of the box and how I do it, Whitney, is I envision myself in this endless hallway and it's, it's very tall ceilings, very narrow on the walls, floor to ceiling are, are big square mirrors, like 12 inches by 12 inches, big square mirrors lining perfectly vertical and, and horizontal columns. That may mean I've been potty trained too early. I don't know. I guess I like order. I don't know. You're the therapist. You can tell me. So I, each mirror represents a different lifetime. What we'll say is, what do you want to know? One of my favorite stories is about a, an engineer who called into my show and he said, do I have any past lives in which I was an engineer? Yeah. So I'm in my hallway. I'll ask the question, does he have any past lives? The mirrors that correlate with the question will come out from the wall as if they're on a hydraulic arm. And then I'll say, show me the one that correlates the most. That will come out the farthest. I'll get, I'll envision getting in front of it and I'll envision walking into the mirror. So I, with this guy, I walked into it and it looked like a scene out of Star Wars, a Star Wars set. There were flying vehicles. There were these towers. It was wild. And I thought, oh, this is a future life, but a different planet or something. What is this? And then I asked, what's the year? The year was in the 1930s. I thought, oh, okay, this is a past life on a different planet. And so I'm describing this. And what I'm getting is this guy was in charge of the electrical grid and, and all the charging of all the vehicles and all the powering of the city or whatever you want to call it, the settlement and all this other information. And I said to him, I said, what kind of engineer are you? He said, I'm an, I'm an electrical engineer. And he worked for GE designing jet engines. So my point earlier about we'll see a script repeat throughout multiple lifetimes, that script on a different planet, he was the equivalent of an electrical engineer. And in this lifetime, he's he was led to be an electrical engineer, certainly working in a different capacity with different resources now that they didn't have in the 1930s. Perhaps, there, obviously, the resources that he had on a different planet were probably way advanced of what we have now, but that was wild. And then there are lots of other stories I can tell you. One was a a client who's a retired CEO of a publicly traded company, big company, and he had cancer. And so we did a past life thing. He, he, you know, we wanted to see if there was any kind of correlation. Well, it, what I saw was him as an, as a British Navy admiral in the late 1700s. He's, he was the admiral of the Atlantic fleet and he was best known for some naval battle with the French. Well, I don't know British naval history. I can't tell you about naval battles with the French. But we got the year and we got the information and stuff like that. So we looked it up. We got this guy's name. We looked it up. Sure enough, 
This guy was head of the Atlantic fleet. He was a British naval admiral. And, uh, and, and here's this Navy battle with the French. It's all, you know, on online with historical documents. And the correlation with that was this guy was really good at commanding massive numbers of people, but not so good at following other people's orders or letting people in. Well, the CEO, what's he good at? He's good at running things, not so much at letting people help him and letting people do things for him. And with his illness, it brought him to his knees. He had to accept help in order for him to heal. And he did, and he has. He has healed. So that's how past lives can be really applicable and help us in our journey to heal in this lifetime. Plus, they're just fun and they're fascinating. Oh, yeah. So it sounds, is it almost, I think it was like a, a package, like you go and get like a six package deal at a, you know, massage place. Like if you are coming into earth realm, do you pick like six life, do you do six lifetimes in a row here? And they all kind of are leading up to a, a bigger, greater lesson. Would you say that, that all are like, would you pick, cause you just said you, you picked up on someone's past life. that was another planet, but they related to this lifetime. So it was, how does that work in terms of, you know, is there like a, a stretch of certain lifetimes that are all working towards the same greater development evolution of that soul? Yes. And our soul decides if they want to come back and explore a different perspective of it. So for instance, that Navy Admiral was living in Britain, living in England at the time and was in the military. Well, same basic script. He was he was leading massive numbers of people. In this lifetime, that spirit came back, was born in Northern California, lived in Northern California, was still leading massive numbers of people, but in a business sense with a publicly traded company. Still lots of responsibilities, both financial and livelihoods of people, certainly, and equipment, in the form of Navy ships and everything that goes into having a battleship. And same thing for this guy in this lifetime, different perspective, same basic script. So we want to explore it from a different perspective so that our spirit can expand. And then when we're done with it, then we dream something else up that we want to explore. Not only when we go back to heaven, but also when we're incarnated, you know, when we're in this body, certainly I'm a great example you know, okay, well, I've had all these companies in different industries. How's that work? People say, well, how's that work? Most people stay in the same industry for most of their career. Well, it was something I was interested in and I followed it Yeah, and created. Yeah. So let's hit on that for a second is what did make you want to pursue? Because you said this didn't come to you. You sought it out. You started studying this. Yeah. I learned how to do this. A friend about 30 years ago, gave me a book called Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Mace, PhD. And she talks about being a medical intuitive. And I'd been in the hospital supply industry for decades at that point. And I thought, well, what the heck is that? What's a medical intuitive? I've never heard, I'd never heard that term before. So I wanted to know more. And back then we didn't have the internet yet. And so I did the old fashioned thing, Whitney, and I went to a bookstore and I wanted to see, I thought, well, there'll be more, I'm more apt to find something in a bookstore maybe than in a library. There may be more choices on this woo-woo spiritual stuff. 
And I found Barbara Brennan's Hands of Light book. And she is a former NASA physicist who parlayed very complex quantum physics principles into understandable English on energy healing. And so I read that and I wanted to know more. So I called her school. She had a school at the time. And I said, is there anybody in my area teaching this stuff? And sure enough, there was. And so I enrolled and I paid the equivalent of what I would have paid to get a PhD or an MD, quite frankly. And and I was still doing my business stuff and doing the mom and the wife and, you know, all that jazz. I was just doing it because I was interested in it. I was being led. People said, well, why are you doing that? I don't know. It's just interesting. So I did it. And then fast forward over time, I do it for family and friends. And then when my mother died in 2002, I watched the for the first time what happened when somebody was dying with these 12 phases of transition. And I thought, whoa, what is this? And then Pope Clement showed up within a couple of years and said, you know, you need to teach the world what happens when somebody's dying. And I thought, yeah, I'm not doing that. And here I am. So I wanted to get the information out, but I needed to come up with a way to make it palatable because that's not normal dinner conversation. Hey, by the way, you want to hear what happens when somebody dies? But people are interested in the medical side. And what I found was when I learned how to connect with spirit, I could take it anywhere I wanted. Whether I'm talking to some, you know, I, it's where my buffet of psychicness comes from. We can talk to your dead grandma. I can talk to your dead dog. We can, I can scan you medically. I can scan your pet medically. I can scan your plant. Find out what's going on with your plant. We can do past life stuff. You know, I can tell how close to death somebody is, whatever. And so that's how it all came about. And most of the work that I do is medical simply because that's what people ask me to do. Mm-hmm. But it, it all plays together. It all comes together. Can you talk a little bit about your work with pets? Because I think that that's sure. something that a lot of people aren't aware of, that somebody can read. Well, you know, I think reading energy is energy. And so there's a lot of people who, you know, connect with animals, feel like they're able to psychically connect with animals. But how are you able to do that? And what does that entail? What are you able to share with somebody? What type of insights about their pet? Same as with with humans, I can scan them medically, I can facilitate energetic healings, I can communicate with the pet, find out what the pet wants. They all want more treats, I can tell you that, that's the universal thing. (laughs) Fluffy's asking for more treats. I can tell if they're dying, if they want to be euthanized, we'll ask them, which is really helpful. My daughter-in-law's a vet, she's a veterinarian. And so I have fun when I will do a healing on a pet and then I'll talk to her later and say, okay, here's what I saw. Tell me if this makes sense. And she'll say, yeah, it does. And here's how, which helps me because I'm I'm way more versed on the human anatomy than on a dog or a cat or a, you know, guinea pig's anatomy or something like that. But each week on my show, I'll have several people call in and want to, have information about their pets, want to know what's going on. Are they dying? They're not surrounded by angels and the deceased pets of their litter like humans are. I don't see that, but I do see that their spirit hangs on to the top of their head and looks like a cartoon caption bubble. So I can tell. And then they'll tell me if they want to be euthanized or not. They'll tell me how their owners can know. My daughter-in-law, Mallory, calls it their humans. 
how they're how they're humans. She says, I have my patients, and then she'll she'll be talking about my patient did this and this and this, and then they're and then I had to talk to their human, which is hysterical. <laughs> so, human. so they're human. I they'll give us information about how their human will know when it's time to euthanize them. And uh I find lost pets for families. Have a pet is lost, and they'll say, you know, where's where's uh Frisky? And I'll say, well, Frisky's, you know, in the neighborhood and he's, sometimes we can get addresses, which is fun. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, the stuff that comes in. But people are so attached to their pets. Very much. It's right. sometimes I'll be talking to somebody and and they'll, they'll just be so heartbroken because their pet has died. Well, actually, a couple of weeks ago on the show, and there's an IGTV that's on my social media to ask Julie Ryan right now that's out. And this dog that passed was a German Shepherd and was telling his owner that he wanted her to get a white German Shepherd and to call it Crystal if it was a boy or a girl. Crystal with a K... K-R-Y-S-T-L-E. He's even spelling it for me if it was a girl dog. And just to call it Crystal, but uh, but just Chris if it was a boy dog. But it, he wanted it to be a white German Shepherd. He was really specific. It's a riot, the stuff they tell us. Wow. Well, and I think that people appreciate that because we can't talk to our pets directly. And that's a big thing. I'm a, I'm a dog owner. I have a dog that I love very much. And... There's sometimes that you just wish so much they could tell you. Um, my dog has really bad arthritis and she's they, 10. So there's they that can point. tell you. All you have to do is ask them and they're going to answer you. And it's going to be, it's going to come in your head in a second as fast as you can snap your fingers. So you can, she'll give you an answer. answer. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just say, hey, you know, what's your dog's name? Audrey. 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 What do you need? Are you in pain? You're going to get yes, yes, no. What do you need? More treats. After what else do you need? <laughs> it's always more treats. <laughs> so they can, they'll tell you if they're ready to go? Oh, absolutely. All the time. Yeah. They'll tell you how you'll know that they're ready to go. A lot of times it's when I can't control my bowels anymore. Mm. And I, I had a dog tell me not too long ago, it was a little schnauzer. And he said, you'll know when I walk into a room and I, and I look around because it looks like I don't know where I am. It's because I don't, the dog had Alzheimer's, but he said, if I walk into a room in the house that I've lived in for all these years and I act like I don't know where I am, then you'll know it's time. So they're very specific. Wow. Well, Julie, you certainly have a large buffet of offerings and psychic abilities and talents. It's awesome. Thanks. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's been so much fun hearing about them. And I know that a lot of people listening are going to be very interested in some of the things that you have to offer. I know that I'm already ready to sign up for the, a medical scan. Um, I want to do a session for Audrey. So if people want to find you, what's the best way to do that? AskJulieRyan.com. Everything's at Ask Julie Ryan, askjulieryan.com. You can get wherever you need to go from there. There are links to my books, links to my shows, links to all of that. I do a call-in show every Thursday night that's live. 
people call in from all over the world. And I, w- I was telling you before we started recording, I think I got 18 or 19 people on last night, in two hours, which was really fun. And it's all across the board. So it, it's a blast because I never know who's going to call in and I never know what their questions are. And I never know how spirit's going to answer those questions. So that's fun. Uh, I also, if you want to do a private session, I'm booked out a few months, but here's the secret. Get on my calendar and then on your confirmation email, there will be a link to, it'll say reschedule on it. Click on that periodically when you think of it and earlier dates and times will show when they're available because people reschedule multiple, multiple people each week reschedule. I had a gal yesterday afternoon who went on on Tuesday, a new client, and she said, well, I'm just going to see when her next appointment is. And it was the following day because somebody had canceled, had rescheduled their appointment and she said, versus, you know, scheduling out a couple of months in advance. So that's the key. Get on the calendar and then check the reschedule button periodically. When you think of it, we talk whenever we're supposed to talk is how I look at it. And and then we have an hour. We can do a medical scan on you. We can check Audrey. We can talk to your dead, whoever, if you want. <laughs> uh, whatever you want to do in that time period, we'll cover a lot of different things. So you don't have to just schedule one appointment for one thing. We'll cram as much in in an hour as we can. And it's so much fun. We just oh, I'm sure people will say, Oh, I'm so nervous. I'll say, What are you nervous about? This will be a blast. We'll have fun. And I don't edit anything I get, Whitney, because everything can be healed. Mm-hmm. So who am I to decide what you need to hear? I'm the messenger and I'm the facilitator. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really fun. I have a gift for your listeners. May I share it? Yes. Okay. Like this. So anybody that's listening, if you want a copy of my book, Angelic Attendance, what really happens as we transition from this life into the next, just go to askjulieryan.com, click on the Ask Julie button, and put a note in there and say, hey, I heard you on Whitney's show. I'd love a copy of your book. And we will send you a free digital download of the audiobook and the digital version of the book as a gift just for listening today. And if any of you have children or grandchildren and you'd like a copy of my children's books, mention that and we'll send you a digital download of those as well. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, Julie, it has been so fun to have you on the show and to hear all about this. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. This is, these are some of my favorite topics. It's so interesting and fascinating and fun. You know, when you get in, cause just what you said, when you really open yourself to spirit, there's no, there's nothing off limits or really bad. It's all really just interesting and enriching to explore and learn about and expose ourselves to. You know, and when you get away from that fear and more into the curiosity and excitement of it, it, it makes life this really big, cool adventure. <laughs> where, it does. You know, and there's such, there's so much bigger than we know. I mean, talk about, you know, you're tapping in with spirits who have all these lifetimes behind them. They, they've lived and all these messages to bring in. And it's, it's just really cool. And it's really amazing that you're able to offer this to people and kind of bring this into our world, which unfortunately I think a lot, a lot of people, maybe the majority on this planet are closed off to these concepts and ideas, which I think is, is unfortunate and to our disadvantage. 
Well, because they're afraid because they were taught to be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it is fun because spirit is pure love. And what's fun? Fun is pure. Lo- fun is love. You love what you're doing. Yeah. So <laughs> people will say to me, my God, you're so, you know, you're so light about all of this. You're, uh, some people that we listen to in this niche are, are just, they're so serious. I don't, no reason to be serious. Spirit's pure love. You know, it's, you're supposed to have fun doing it. I love that. I love your attitude around this and what you're bringing. And I love your show. Everyone needs to listen to Ask Julie Ryan because it's really fabulous. I really enjoy it. And it's something different every week. I listen to a few of them and it's just all over the place. Very cool. Thank you for that. I look forward to being on your show. That's right. We'll have you on soon. Yeah, I can't wait. All right, Julie. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, for sharing with us all about your work. And I look forward to connecting again soon. I do as well. Thanks so much for having me. Sending you love from Sweet Home, Alabama. (laughs) Thank you. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guest. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.